Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of Honest Retail. Uh, very excited to be joined uh, today by Allison Kane from ha- Haven's Kitchen. Uh, Allison uh, is super excited to have you here. I would love to start with just kind of your background. I've been a big fan of the product and the sauces. Uh, the red pepper romesco uh, mm-hmm. is definitely a go-to of mine, um, but would love to just kind of hear your background and, um, and a little bit more about Haven's Kitchen for some of the listeners who might not know about it. Yeah, um, well, thanks for having me. And I love when people say that their favorite is the Romesco because it's almost like it says something about you. It's like the sleeper sauce. No, it's (laughs) like it's this really savory sauce that isn't obvious. And so the people that are deep in with the Romesco, like there's something like they should all be in a room together. I, I'd be. I feel really like Taylor's fun. probably nodding her head. Like, of course, Cameron picked the romantic. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> I, I, I think everyone knows at this point. Cam and I, I, I don't need to say anything. Else. Yes, I am <laughs> nodding my head. Yes, that's I love very it. funny. So, um, yeah. So, my background. Um, I am a mom of five. I stayed home and raised them until my youngest was three at which point I went back to get a master's degree in food systems, food studies, food policy. Um, And, you know, I was always a very avid home cook and I always taught cooking classes to my friends and friends of friends. But what happened when I got my degree was I started making connections between home cooking and the planet. Um, Home cooking is sort of this like single lever that a consumer can pull to really you know, make a positive impact on their personal health, their community, farm labor practices, animal caregiving, you know, the environment in general, everything. Um, And so it seemed obvious to me that I should open a cooking school, um, which, you know, wasn't necessarily the smartest idea in the world, (laughs) but it fortunately worked out. So um, in 2012, I opened a recreational cooking school in New York City, not professional, not for chefs, but for people, just home people that didn't want to be scared of roasting a chicken and making rice. Um, I took them on market tours to the Union Square Green Market, where I had had an internship for a few years as part of my master's program. And they really came for fun or, you know, to bond with friends or it's a great team building type of thing and and hopefully walked away feeling more confident in the kitchen. Um, And then after a couple of years of teaching, um, two sort of themes popped up. Um, My academic brain started creating a thesis around them, I guess. One was that a lot of my students had subscribed and then rapidly unsubscribed from meal kits. They felt bad about the waste. They didn't feel like it was actually teaching them how to cook. They didn't love what they were making. And they kind of kept saying, we just need a good sauce. Like we now kind of, we know how to grill salmon and roast a carrot. We just need something to make it taste different from the carrot I ate last night. And the second thing that was for me personal was like my mission in life really has always been 
you know, I love cooking and I, I've wanted to sort of impart that love to other people. And the business of the cooking school was a great one and it was profitable and it was really going well, but it was primarily a, um, like an event space and a catering space. And I, in terms of teaching people, I could only realistically reach like a hundred people a week in terms of getting them feeling good about cooking. So we, long story short, decided to package some of our students' favorite sauces. Um, because of my background in sustainability, I really wanted them to be, you know, the best possible product and the best possible packaging. Um, we chose these pouches for those reasons. Uh, we chose high pressure pasteurization instead of boiling them for those reasons and brought them to the fancy food show in 2017. Fortunately for us, Whole Foods liked them. Uh, an e-com uh, Northeast grocer called Fresh Direct liked them. And we had our first PO in March of 2018, went regional in 2019, national in 2020, literally the day that the world shut down. Um, I also closed the cooking school in 2020, and now we're selling, you know, nationally in 2000 stores and we have seven SKUs and everything feels very mission aligned. Um, and that's the story. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, I've seen the, I've seen the brand, uh, you know, sprout up and, and it's been great to watch, uh, the success. And, uh, we always talk about here, like we love brands that are like, um, staples for like home cooks and not yeah. necessarily just a functional beverage or a functional snack. It's like not everything needs to be highly functional. It can just be delicious and yeah. elevate, you know, the home chef. And so, yeah. um, yeah, super, um, super excited to have you on and, you. and get your thoughts on, on everything that's going on right now. Um, yeah. so we usually now dive into like any brands that kind of caught our eye over the last week or anything that's kind of interesting to us. Um, yeah, Ali, we'll start with you. Is there kind of any brands that you may have tried or discovered over the last week um, that you maybe wanted to highlight? Yeah, well, I have a few. Um, I mean, I just want to shout out Aesop. I have to say they're not new. They're not, you know, of the moment, but they have this coriander black pepper patchouli body wash that I tried at a friend's house and is like a new addition. Just, you know, those just like make you feel like a better person you know that's that's what they do um i also tried i took i took one of my daughters to college last weekend and went to sephora which was you know a journey and tried the necessaire uh deodorant i love that um and i'm surprised because i've been like a suave person forever and then I also was in Kinderhook uh, last week and found these little date candies. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Date Better Snacks, um, but they're like peanut butter and chocolate and pretzel-filled dates. They, they're just like super delicious and I think probably better for you and really yummy. Um, and then I got a shout out Jones Road because they just launched a new blush and I, of course, like got myself on the waiting list and I love everything Bobby Brown does. So I would say those are my products of the week. 
Awesome. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about Jones Road and, and how well they do, uh, especially um, building out their team and like their their CX and the whole experience. So um, yeah, I saw that post yeah. today with the with the new uh, product they were launching. Uh, yeah. For me, um, it's Gatsby Chocolate. Uh, I think it's the yeah. same people that just start uh, that has launched Halo Top. Um, like low, low calorie, low sugar, um, chocolate, like peanut butter cups, uh, like always interested to kind of see, uh, what's going on in this space. I haven't tried the product yet, but the packaging is killer. Um, name's really crisp and you can tell right. like they've already had a successful like company before this. So question um, about chocolate. Can I ask this? Like yeah, chocolate, chocolate and, and sparkling water. It feels like just when you think there's like, okay, there cannot be another, chocolate or sparkling water like is it just is nestle just going to acquire everyone like are, are they are they gonna find buyers all of these guys mondelez and nestle i guess right or i think i'll kick that over to cj cj what's your thoughts on that i mean no they're not all gonna find buyers but i think that gatsby might yeah uh, right you know because it's very much along the lines of halo top where it's it's good but it is significantly lower cal calorie than than you know, a, an, an equivalent chocolate bar. Have, Who have just got the, yeah, the have Sweet you, you Lilies. Guys, uh, sweet Lilies was Hershey. Hershey, right. Yeah, um, via VMG. Um, have you guys dug much into like the original Halo Top story and like how weirdly like rocket ship and then like straight back down? And I mean, eventually the engineer next it, but like they're very open about how like they just weren't prepared to go from like almost zero to like, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue like in a very short amount of time and then and then you know because the category kind of exploded with them and then all the competitors rushed in and and they weren't growing terribly much from there so no one was giving them any credit for for essentially creating the category it was it's, yeah it's, it's a very interesting story yeah, yeah. A lot of these are and i think also you know the halo top thing to me is like if you just you know, sometimes I feel like we we're so earnest about, you know, we're low sugar and we're better for the environment and we da 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 da. And all we really need to say is like, this makes you thin. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it just seems like the consumer is much simpler than <laughs> maybe, yeah, you know, founders think, you know, well, like we, we, get that, we get into that a lot here is like the difference between functional and better for you and like and how wide that chasm is and i think people think that they're maybe just right next to each other and like and like how consumers perceive them and i and i don't think they are i think that if you're going to make a functional claim that basically prohibits you from making a very simple this has less sugar this has less calories um, right yeah yeah, and I think I mean it's um, yeah I haven't really followed the the Halo Halo Top story, but it looks like Gatsby is really well positioned here, um, and I'm excited to see you know what they do. CJ, I know you kind of cut in there like what any brands that kind of um, that caught your uh, eye over the last week. Um, you know, I, like I realized we may have even talked about it on this one, but I've I've re restarted my Cometeer subscription because like. We, like, we've been looking really hard actually for a coffee investment and um you know so going through a lot of them and like commentary just makes great coffee <laughs> like, like and, I, and i really enjoy the ritual of like an electric kettle and you mm. know warming up the, you know, it feels a little bit like the you know the french press you know that i used to do and 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 so like i get a little bit of a morning ritual 
I feel like I've made something, but it's not, it's not, you know, quite all the way to like an espresso machine. So, and the coffee's just like, like it's, you know, a new cafe just went in across our office and I was trying to go to support it because the last cafe there failed, but comments here just taste better. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, is, 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 they've kind of fallen out of the news a little bit a lot because they, they were kind of a growth darling for a while, but they still make really good coffee now. I, I like it when, when, I mean, speaking as a brand that isn't necessarily always in the news and isn't always sort of, you know, like a rocket shippy LFG type of situation. I think, I think when they're out of the spotlight, that's when they're really dangerous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I was always like concerned about them because whenever you see a company raise a ton out of the gate for mostly like R and D and technology, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that they're going to make that up, but it looks like they've done it. I haven't tried the product yet, but I love, like, I think some big investment bank firm like yesterday announced that they're stopping their coffee program. And then they set up a tent yeah, like right outside. Golden. Yeah. Yeah. They set up a they, they tent right outside golden. today, yeah. <laughs> which is like great. So yeah. Uh, it's, it's cool to, to see, I I've talked to like some coffee snobs cause I'm not one, uh, surprisingly, uh, <laughs> about the, the products and like, they're very like anti it. Like they're so like, they want to like grind the grinds themselves and all that stuff. So it's interesting to see who the consumer is at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's an awesome product and concept yeah. and obviously they've built out the moat with the technology. Yeah. There are a lot of people addicted to caffeine that don't necessarily want to grind the grinds. I mean, yeah. that's a category that, you know talk about daily ritual you know i mean that's never going away yeah and the food service like capabilities are pretty cool with yeah that, that is product cool. for sure taylor how about you um i am doing some makeup ones allison has prompted me i've never talked about makeup here but i spend every dollar that i don't spend on nice meals on sephora um so i should probably start talking more about brands because i spend too much money on, on Sephora products. Um, so this was an example of a company that actually gave me, um, because I'm obviously like a rouge plus, 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 because I spend again, all my money at Sephora. But anyway, it was one of those products that they give you if you have points and I, I just don't need one more like lip oil. So I was like, well, I use makeup you know, wipes. I've been using Neutrogena wipes since I was like 15. Uh, they're good enough, I guess I would say. So anyway, there's a product called Pharmacy Green Clean. Um, and for the people who know me, they know that I, I'm not fully in that whole space. So I would love to be more eco-conscious and more sustainable in my life, but I'm not. So it just happened to be green. I don't even know. So it's it, it, what they call it is like makeup melt away cleansing balm. I've never tried anything like it. Um, it was like life changing. I, I don't like the wipes, but I didn't really know that there was much else other than, you know, good old Cetaphil. And it's like this green balm, put it in your hand and then you wipe it on your face. And like the, literally your makeup like melts away. Mm. It's just, it's, it's really cool. It's just, it feels very lush and lavish and extravagant. And it's not like, I mean, the price is like for the full bottle, I think it's like 30 something, 35 bucks. Um, but for something that, you know, a lot of women use every single day. I just haven't really mm-hmm. seen that much innovation in makeup cleansing stuff. So I, 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 that was one. And then the other that is not new, similar to what Allison said, but I've been using it and I've never, again, talked about beauty products is Dr. Jart. Um, mm. They have the, it's called like a tiger grass. It's a color correcting treatment. Um, but again, like I have scars on my face from different things and um, 
you know, even like I got bit by a dog, unfortunately, this past year and have oh, scars no. there. And yeah. And so that has been actually the only product that I, I think works immediately. It's like green, but then obviously it changes colors when it gets on your face, but um, it has SPF and it's like super, super effective um, in, in treating just like, you know, different pigments on your face. But then even like I've had, I have 12 stitches on my, on my lip and I, I don't think most people could see it at this point. Yeah. And I think a large part of it is, is due to Dr. Jart. So I, I only use that product, but um, if, if, you know, people that listen and use other products under, you know, their portfolio, I'd love to, what to learn more because I'm now a pretty big fan. This just makes me happy though, you know, because sometimes I feel like people are just like making products that the world just does not need. Like <laughs> I'm not going to go off on categories that I think are just like, come on, I, I may have earlier, but you know, every once in a while I'm like, really, really, you know, another fill in the blank. But then there are these stories where like there are these products that the world does need and they're making people's lives better. And that's what this is all about. It's that gives me, I don't know, happy feelings. Makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I like us Makes getting happy. I like us getting into spotlighting different categories for sure. And I don't want to lose this really nice transition or segue. So let's go into our first topic of uh Mighty Patch, um, mm. which is owned by Heroes Cosmetics. Oh yeah. Being acquired by Church and Dwight um for a whopping 630 million. Um, I think two things like one, if you don't know Hero Cosmetics um, or the product Mighty Patch, it's basically um, like a blemish patch that you put over, I believe, like a pimple uh, to be able to get it removed relatively mm -hmm. quickly. Uh, anybody who doesn't know the parent company that now just bought uh, Hero Cosmetics, Church and Dwight, you probably know the products that they make, like cleaning products like Arm & Hammer, OxyClean. Uh, I think they even are the owners of like Trojan Condoms. So they do a ton in um, consumer space. Uh, CJ, you were actually chomping at the bit <laughs> towards the end of our last week's show uh, to talk about this. So I kind of want to get the mic over to you and get, get your thoughts on this before uh, I get Taylor and Allie's because I, I know you were you really wanted to dive into this last week and, and the reason why we have the topic this week. Well, like, I'm, I'm really glad that Allie started talking about a lot of, of, of beauty stuff because other than just my knowledge around high margins and and, mm -hmm. and i can and i can certainly like into it that they probably had really really savage consumer acquisition costs um mm -hmm. i don't know enough about the beauty space to to really opine on this so like i'm super excited to hear what ali has to say so i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, I guess effectively pass and, and hear what ali has to say well it's funny because i actually know very little about the beauty space um I, you know but i i do know that they're you know the way i think about all consumer i guess all businesses in a way is you know it's like building a house you know if you don't have a good foundation it doesn't matter what color you decide to paint your walls or what tile you choose for your kitchen your house is going to fall down and that's true across any category, right? I mean, there are expectations on beverage that are different than expectations on salty snacks. And obviously beauty is expected to have much different margins, you know, I think in the nineties or something like that. But um, what I do know is that when you have great margins and you're a profitable business and you know who your people are and you know what your sweet spot is, and you build it in one channel and then you go to a different channel and then you go to another channel and you're spending your money thoughtfully, you're a great company. And that's what she did. I mean, I 
they were going to, you know, they were profitable. They had, you know, 140 million in sales, 45 million EBITDA. They started on Amazon with one SKU. They knew exactly how to target for that SKU. They had a really good product. That's also kind of important. Um, they beat to their own drum a little bit. They were quiet. Like I said, they were, they just did, they just did it really well. Um, and mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, it's a female founder and mm-hmm. just, yeah. she, she crushed it. I love it. Do you yeah. think that the single product nature in, into multiple products, multiple channels was kind of like idiosyncratically, you know, a, a hero story, or is that something that a lot of founders should be looking to, to, to do in, in beauty? I, you know, and, and I love is- that question. Yeah. I love that question. And I feel really strongly about it. Actually, I, I, it's not even beauty. I think we are pressured to platform way too quickly. Um, press loves a, a new product. Team loves a new product. Investors love innovation. But, you know, I am a, if you are building a great product that has great margins and you are building velocity on that product, you can wait a minute for innovation and you can wait a minute for distribution because you're building something that is going to be, you know, brick by brick, incremental, over, you know, week over week, daily use, creating a real loyalty and love among consumers. It's, I think, you see brands that are, you know, we're the blank of blank, you know, you don't have to be. There's so many great stories about, I mean, Cholula, right? They're just, they're great products. Um, Coconut Secret is like this coconut amino company. It's like owning every, you know, shelf stable sauce, everything. You know, you don't see them platforming into, we're the coconut company, like, whatever you know i i think it's a really good question and i think there is a lot of pressure and i think the zeitgeist right now is you know keep keep fomo up and keep keep new things coming but new things aren't what builds a company in my opinion i think i mean i think that's i think that's spot on i I, coming from a background in innovation and corporate i actually hate innovation (laughs) hate is a strong word but like, like at some point if you want to look for a, a different level of exit you have to prove that you can right. platform to some extent yeah and that, and and you know we're gonna it. do it yeah, it's just yeah. we're not doing it quickly and we're doing it once we you know it takes how many years to know who's really buying your product why are they buying it how are you really helping them you know why are they putting it in their basket week after week and what are the right retailers? Where's the right placement? All of the questions take years. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, at least in my opinion, in, you know, and I understand, I understand the digitally native, you know, kids doing it more and more. It's easier maybe with a shelf stable product. It keeps people repeating online, but for a wholesale business, you know, it, it's noise. It's a nice marketing thing, but it's, it's, it's noise. Yep. Yeah. It's important to distinguish skew proliferation along your main your main product. At, you know, you know, if your retailers are asking for it versus platforming, I, I think yeah. some people look at look at those as kind of one of the same, and they're not. 
No, I mean, it, for me, it's just, it's, you know, a different, a whole different product line, mostly in wholesale with a different buyer often, although we would love to stay with the same buyer, it can be hard. So, you know, you have one brand that's, you know, trying really hard. It, it's really hard to build relationships with one buyer, let alone that buyer of that category at multiple retailers. And then all of a sudden you're in a different part of the store with a whole other set of expectations and a whole other set of buyers. So yeah, I agree. I mean, we went from three SKUs to we'll have eight in, um, in March, but the same, you know, the same sauce. Um, and we won't be introducing another product line until 2024. So mm -hmm. that's a good, you know, six years from launch. Ali, do you have any type of like um, specific uh, metrics that you need to hit before you launch new SKU? Are you looking at like an ACV percentage of a certain SKU, like sell through in your top accounts? Like, is there some sort of thing that needs to happen to trigger a new SKU? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, for me, my, my, my shtick is velocity. Um, I want to know that if everything hit the fan tomorrow and I had to significantly reduce headcount and significantly reduce spend, I would still have a company that was like, selling product week after week. And I think when we get our, you know, our chimichurri right now, is it like a five and a half, six-ish um, velocity at Whole Foods and Sprouts? For me, it's like by then it should be at a solid eight. That's when I'll feel kind of like confident that the chimmy is here to stay. Everyone else is like a little bit behind her. And that gives me confidence that like, okay, this has momentum now it's just a function of like scaling distribution on this i've figured out a lot of the stuff that i need to figure out it's less about acv for me more about i guess that velocity knowing exactly who is that consumer how are we helping them you know knowing how to market to them knowing where they live all of that stuff um which takes a little while so would, would your next step, you know, because this is kind of maybe what's inherent in, in Cam's question is, is mm -hmm. that, you know, so velocity in Sprouts and Whole Foods is different than velocity in Walmart. So like yes. would step two being like, okay, now now I'm going to look for a completely different channel, completely different, that, that implies a different consumer and look for a velocity hurdle there. No, I mean, for me, you know, again, it's not a fully fleshed out plan. I mean, for us, you know, our, we're in Target, for example, we, you know, the common kind of assumption is that if your whole foods velocity is an eight your target velocity will be a two um, we haven't seen that much of a discrepancy but it certainly is a completely different ball game um, i don't feel the need to go that wide and i certainly don't feel the need to go to walmart it's kind of the the meat on the bone that i kind of want to leave for whoever the next folks are um, but I do think that one of the things that when we do innovate, we are going to need a couple of anchor accounts. I'd like to have an anchor natural. I'd like to have an anchor conventional. I'd like to have, you know, target ideally as my anchor mass. So building those relationships and making sure that the product that we have there is cranking will also help me with those retailers become partners in this, in this new thing. I'm not going to build it if they're not, going to come. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think one of the issues, like just from the conversations I always have with brands is like, they're so in love with the product development 
part of the business and like that whole cycle and like they love their own product and they're super excited to make new innovation that they get Mm -hmm. so wrapped up in the innovation side of things and they think they're moving the business forward but there's no kpis actually measure Mm -hmm. any of the return on that innovation and so a lot of times i just see brands that are doing you know significantly even i mean under five million or even under a million dollars in business just getting way too lost in the sauce with innovation and just Mm -hmm. not focusing on their core competency and that core kind of product set and making sure that that hits some sort of definitive kpi before moving to new innovation yeah. yeah, that is such, like, we should just end the podcast right now um, and, and just, like, have that be the core. Drop the mic. That, that, <laughs> that, that is such an important thing for founders to, to understand. And, like, it's not that I don't get it. Like, I've been in innovation roles. It's definitely the most fun because there's no, like, mm-hmm. process and, and work that's going to, okay, how are we going to you know, scale and commercialize this? Like, it's not, that, it's not that I don't understand why. It's just, like, if you could ask me why, I've seen some of the most promising companies that I thought were going to be absolute rockstars fail it's because they get absolutely lost in that innovation for it but it's also yeah. i think it's their it's the easiest and it's like their favorite thing to do because the feedback is always positive like of it's, course. A, it's, it's a, a pre-revenue feedback. company yeah. <laughs> it's a positive feedback loop that they're hearing from trade shows that they're hearing from demos like it's it's yeah, like, yeah people love our product we're going to get big because we're hearing this positive feedback and things like velocity and trade spend and sales and things like that get put on the back burner and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, you take it, you take the combination of, you know, founders got to found, right? Like we there in the, you know, I had this cooking school for eight years. It's it, brick and mortar hospitality businesses have a very old expression. There's an opening team and an operating team. And those tend to be very different in hospitality. People who love to build things from scratch tend not to be the best at project management and keeping things going day to day. It's boring, it's it's annoying, people management is a pain in the neck, things break, you know? So you take a personality type where a lot of us founders are, where we like to innovate and we like to create new things. And then you add on the pressure of a media that likes newness and stories, LinkedIn, yada yada, teams that want to be a part of things that are like rocket shipping and going all over the place other brands that seem to be doing it investor pressure you know it's it's like a toxic cocktail for just moving too fast into things that don't necessarily make a lot of sense so yeah i'll I'll go back with cameron you can end the podcast (laughs) Uh, and taylor i do want to um uh, check in with you too, because I know you work with a ton of brands. Obviously, um, I don't know if you've tried the Heroes Cosmetic product anymore, but were you kind of intrigued to see the size of the exit? How you kind of had a sense for how big this company was? And then I'd, I'd love your thoughts too on kind of like the innovation conundrum that a lot of these early brands can find themselves in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everyone. I think this has all been a super interesting conversation. I love when I don't have to talk. So this has been lovely. Um, I do have the product. I think even just going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago with like the makeup wipes, like I feel like this is a category like of, you know, pimple patches that <laughs> I don't know, there hasn't been that much innovation. I mean, I've been using Clearasil, like, you know, the whatever that silver bottle is from CVS for the majority of my life. So um, I think it's just another, I don't really have too much to add, but I think it's another great example, um, similar to the makeup company I mentioned, Green Pharmacy of just nailing a, you know, a category that A, wasn't that sexy and B, didn't really have that much innovation. There wasn't that much competition. So I think they, they have such a great reputation. They have, and to Alice's point, they just have a great product. So I'm, and I, I too love seeing female leaders succeed. So 
I, I'm not, I mean, that, I mean, what, you know, the whole deal was just eye-opening to me. I was like, wow, that, that is a crazy deal. But when you think about, you know, the product itself, the product speaks for itself. It's a great, it's a great product. And it, it was kind of this, in my opinion, a fairly white space area that, again, most women and men too, you know, they, they need something like this. So I, I, I just, I, it makes sense. Um, in terms of like expansion of products and stuff, I mean, the, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And I worked for Boston Beer for a handful of years that kind of straddled this, this internal debate of like, are we still kind of the primary craft beer brand or are we this brand, you know, kind of more on the mass scale side of beer, you know, production. And I think a lot of the, the latter came, you know, through the reputation that they got because of this just kind of expansion of their portfolio offerings like over and over and over and over again um and they said well you know we're listening to what people are saying they're like yeah but just stick to something man like you don't have to you know create 15 new products a year and i think that kind of put them in a position that they were perceived at least as more on the mass side versus craft as a result of that strategy um and so i saw it firsthand kind of when i was working in the beer space um, but in general, I think what I've seen to work pretty well, especially with new founders, is not as much the development of, of kind of consistent, long-standing products. But you know, I work for a company called Lunar, um, which I know we've talked about Nectar, I believe, on on the pod. And I know that CJ, you're you're close to that team. I don't know if you've invested in them, but um, it's an Asian it's an Asian seltzer company. I've been advising for a while now, and they've done a, a crap ton of really, really interesting limited time drops with different Michelin chefs. Uh, they even created like an MSG flavored seltzer. Um, you know, they're doing really cool stuff, but it's, it's in limited run. And um, I, I like that mentality a little bit more is to, you know, sample things out, do strategic collaborations and limited time product drops, and then just assess from there. And if things work and they have the capabilities to keep it as part of their core portfolio, like do so. Um, but I, I don't really see the, the long-term strategy and always kind of constantly rolling out new products that are consistently going to be available to consumers, uh, especially for ones that maybe haven't created their exact product market fit. I think those companies in particular need more time to at least get the first iteration of whatever they're doing right before they launch into consistent like series of new products. So I like I like limited time and you know short term partnerships and collabs and then see what sticks and then you know see if you can kind of maintain it from there. So yeah, and I think like when I made the uh, jump from like CPG to tech, like I had no idea like what an MVP, like a minimum viable product was, mm -hmm. like testing things out, right? Because that's not really what CPG does. We make really big investments mm -hmm. and really big time investments on like big initiatives and then we roll them out. Um, so I definitely don't think these companies can basically like category jump uh, and figure out like growth um, there. But yeah, I agree with you, Taylor, like LTOs, seasonal things, uh, doing collaborations with bigger companies that can help get you kind of uh, in the spotlight as well. Like those things like that are still going to move the needle and not be as capital of, um, intensive. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, going from a company that had a really good year with Hero Cosmetics to a company that's continuing to kind of have a really tough year with Meta and Instagram, uh, mm. Instagram kind of announced over the last two weeks that they're scaling back their shopping. Um, honestly, like there's a, there's a component of WeStock that is about consumer 
discovery. And, and when we kind of heard that Instagram was going to have shop and we just kind of thought, okay, our consumer angle is never going to be relevant because like they're going to hit and everyone's going to discover their products on Instagram uh, and then, you know, also purchase them too. And, and now to see that they kind of fumbled the bag uh, a little bit here um, and that brands actually didn't really see the, a lot of movement um, from Instagram shoppers and that it never really stuck. Uh, it was kind of surprising to me, but then I realized that I had never used it. And so why should it be that surprising? Uh, I think you just look at kind of like the mass exiting of Instagram uh, over the past few months as well. And, and obviously, you know, people going towards Be Real and TikTok and other platforms. Um, it's just kind of interesting because this kind of seemed like the perfect fit. Like, of course, you should be able to shop off of Instagram because that's where you're going to discover new looks and new products and things like that. Um, Ali, would love to uh, start with you. What were your kind mm. of thoughts on the on the story and, and um, kind of this positioning here? Yeah, I mean, this is when I start to sound like, you know, a 70-year-old dude, honestly, because I, I am such a Luddite in a lot of ways. And on top of that, I have a refrigerated, you know, 99.9% .9 wholesale business. Um, yeah. So we were not impacted by any of this. We've never bought Instagram ads. We were not, you know, we never want people to buy us directly. If we have any sway in the matter, we want them to go into stores and drive that velocity because you know that that's my thing. Um, that, that all said, you know, my, my big picture thoughts just from talking to a lot of brands who are digitally native is, I think one of the things that people may have forgotten in the whole COVID e-com, you know, going from, you know, whatever it was, 8% to 13% of grocery spending. And I can only speak to grocery. I have no idea about clothes and beauty buying from Instagram. But e-com includes Kroger and Instacart and Publix and Safeway. So if all of grocery spending were peaking at around 13, 15%, maybe think, you know, people think it might go into the low 20s, right? Like other sectors, it's not gonna be directly from us. I think that there was like this weird misunderstanding that, that e-com meant D to C and that the two things were interchangeable and they're not. Um, so, you know, for me, companies that weren't trying to figure out retail, um, hitching our wagons to the Kroger's of the world and the Publix's and the Instacart's of the world who have been planning these things and building out these capabilities literally for years before COVID happened, you know, we weren't ever lulled into thinking that Instagram was going to be the be all end all and that that was now all of a sudden going to convert all these people into into, you know, customers. Um, and I'm just sort of like, I don't know, I'm not that surprised, I guess, you know, it's not how I would buy food, I can really only speak to the grocery thing. Um, and I think we're just now starting to kind of unravel the COVID bump um, that happened. And, and we all sort of thought those were our new benchmarks. And I think we're realizing that a lot of that behavior wasn't as sticky as people might have thought it was. You know, you're seeing a lot of things that people thought were really sticky unsticking. 
yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, thesis and investment thesis and growth thesis kind of built out of COVID that wasn't necessarily kind of here to stay. Uh, and we've talked a lot about um, kind of like the reversion to omni-channel post-pandemic uh, and uh, over the last few episodes. Um, Taylor, um, you know, what's your thoughts kind of on this? Um, was it something you ever used as a consumer? And, and is this news kind of surprising that they're they're dialing this back? I think it's surprising. I mean, just like personally, the only thing I'll say is I, I, I think it was a really interesting, like curated, you know, kind of set of things that I would see on there from like interesting cocktail glasses to different shoes. Like everything felt very curated, if that makes sense. Like more, like I always went on that part of the site and I was like, wow, this looks, you know, this all looks great. I guess the one thing that never happened was I didn't end up purchasing anything. Right. So, <laughs> that, that's so, pretty much the so, indicator. Yeah, so that's the indicator. So great job at curating a lovely list of, you know, booze, you know, encrusted diamond shoes or whatever loafers that have martinis on them. Um, I just I didn't take it to the next. I didn't I didn't go to the next step. And I guess I'm, I'm not alone. I'm just taking a gander here and people that probably like, you know, looked at that part of the of the platform and, you know, engaged with it. Right. I, again, who knows. But um, I, I guess it's another it's a totally other thing to then go from from looking at a part of a site and clicking through things and exploring things to actually purchasing. Um, and at least subjectively, that's where I sat. Like I look at it pretty often, and I, I, maybe a few times a week actually of like offered, you know, different things that I could potentially buy. I've just never went ahead and bought it. So mm-hmm. I'm not really that, yeah. So anyway, I'm not super surprised because just personally, I, I, yeah, I, I've never bought anything. I've never gone through with the whole process on the platform. Yeah, um, I think that makes quite a few of us, um, um, for sure. <laughs> CJ, how about you? Kind of like closing thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think everything we said in the prior segment kind of fits here. Like, when you're in tech, you can take big swings, and and then if they don't work, cancel them. Like yeah. on the flip side, no one thought Facebook Facebook Marketplaces was a good idea. They're like, I don't know, we have Craigslist. Why do we need this? And mm-hmm. now Facebook Marketplaces is huge. Like the the. Yeah. the the, the good part about tech is that you you get you know relatively low cost abilities to try things because they're mainly digital and and if it doesn't work you can stop it doesn't mean it doesn't make news once you stop it yeah um, but you know. and i always hate like dunking articles like there's like no reason to like slam anybody for this like i think it's just like it's more surprising because it does seem like this is a great angle because you just have so much built in. You have a built-in consumer base. You have built in, you have both sides of the marketplace already built out, right? Um, so it's just weird that the trigger to actually purchase wasn't convincing enough. Um, yeah, but I mean, but, I, mean I, I think it, it's kind of reasonable that everyone here is like, yeah, I thought it was a great idea when I heard it. <laughs> I never used it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but like Facebook, but Facebook marketplace is a great example. Like CJ, to your point, like who would have, who would have thunk it? Like I talk to people all the time and they're like, I'm like, what are you doing on a Sunday? They're like uploading photos of my couch on Facebook marketplace. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it's, new, like, it's like, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's uh, insane. Like everyone I know uses that platform. I'm like, Facebook marketplace. I'm like, do you even, <laughs> when was the last time you posted on Facebook? They're like 2010. I'm like, okay, seems reasonable. But here's the thing. The rest like, of your time in the marketplace. The difference is, and as Facebook Marketplace is an ad, when it boils right down to it, it's, it is the digital equivalent of the classifieds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we're taking anything from this, it's like, hey, still, social media is, is something you go to to eat up your attention. And within that confines, 
if you are delivered particularly interesting advertising, mm -hmm. it, can, it can drive click through, but you didn't go there for curation. Right. Um, and, hmm. and I think that's, and I think that's just, you know, all it does is reinforce why fundamentally Facebook and Instagram are such powerful businesses because they really have the market well cornered along with a couple of competitors on, I want to be entertained and I want, and, and, I, and I want an algorithm that understands that. And then if you also surface me ads that do not necessarily annoy me and I kind of like, oh, that's cool. Then, then they're fine with that too. Another drop the mic moment. There we go. Just, just filled, yeah. with, filled with them the today's episode. That's great. Um, There's something that there, I, can I, yeah, I know course. it's okay. I just have to ask the three of you because we're talking about these like tech companies. Is there any thought that someone's going to just shut down TikTok? It, is no one is is that not a real thing? This whole FDC and you know, I know our former president, yada yada. But like, does not is that not on anyone's brain? But. I, I think you basically just fairly succinctly described like the book Black Swan. <laughs> like we're, 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 we're not capable of thinking about like of properly, uh, like you know, if I had to value a company and TikTok was a big part of their, of their customer acquisition, wink, wink, nectar. Right. Um, like it's all, it's almost impossible to properly value the Black Swan event of, oh no, the US government just says TikTok can go fuck itself. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I'm reading this book. It's I think it's called like Seeing Around Corners or something like nothing, nothing is that shocking if you actually are like looking like there. There are a lot of signals right now that this is probably not going to be long term unless they, I don't know, sell whatever they need to sell and do whatever they need to do with Oracle or whatever. But like, I don't think Democrats or Republicans are going to be that jazzed about like the Chinese Communist Party having access to like our teenagers, you know, information. It's one thing for like Zuck to have it, but like, I, I'm just kind of like- Everyone, I don't, everyone you know. can score points dunking on TikTok politically. Like no, no one's gonna be like, oh, poor TikTok. Right, you know, I, and I'm kind of like, I'm seeing people, you know, I saw people kind of put every dollar they had into Instagram ads. And then I'm seeing every dollar they have going into TikTok. And I'm just kind of like, is this gonna, is this gonna bite some people? Or am I just being, you know, a curmudgeon? I think the thinking is like, if you've built the audience already on TikTok, like you're probably gonna be able to have the ability to go and transition that same audience or success to a different platform. Cause there's always gonna be another platform, right? Well, that, that, that's um, where I disagree though, Kevin. Okay? I, I just okay. don't think that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and I think, you know, we're running out of time, but if we do talk about the Kardashian thing, like yeah, I am fine and, and very pro the idea that, that we're going through a, a kind of a sea change in that, like celebrity and attention and and content creators are, are figuring out their platforms and they're making them work. And I don't think it jumps platform very easily. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see like a breakdown of like the like people that do have a strong following on TikTok that are exclusively doing it there versus like having like it kind of spread out across multiple platforms. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone's doing it exclusively, but just right. from, from the anecdotal ones I've seen, like it, it definitely it isn't just like a normal distribution. Like it's, oh, yeah. Okay, the results we're good platform. Insane. We put everything else out on all platforms, but they're all like sub five percent, and TikTok's the the the, the bulk. Yeah.
No, I agree. And, and let's let, when we got 10 minutes here, I want to rapid fire two two things before uh, CJ, we'll, we'll just stick with you on this one because I know you wanted to kind of go over it. Uh, so Fast Switch uh, was just launched by PepsiCo and Gatorade. Um, it is a 12 ounce bottle. It contains 200 milligrams of caffeine, which is actually, I believe, a little bit less than double uh, a Red Bull, uh, electrolytes, B vitamins. Um, it's kind of interesting to see um, this kind of coming up after the Celsius news. And obviously we talk a lot about energy drinks uh, on this show and uh, it just seems like that is a totally uncapped space. Uh, CJ, what's kind of your thoughts here um, you know, while we listen? Well, I think well, one thing that I, I can't believe how much it looks like Prime, Jake Paul's brand. And I was like, kind of like, woo, like are we gonna see some lawsuits around, around trademark infringing on that? But like that aside, I, the most interesting thing here is that it has no sugar and everything Gatorade's put out recently has no sugar. And like, I, I think it's really important to, to, to note that like um, where, where we're seeing like hydration and energy drinks and even, and even just like sports hydration start to collide is everyone started to be like, whoa, Gatorade makes $6 billion a year and almost everything they sell has 40 grams of sugar in it. Um, and if, if you kind of underlie, look like what's working in energy, it's Celsius that has no sugar. And yeah. now Gatorade's coming out with this and they've put way more into Gatorade fit than they have this. Like, like we're starting to see like a lot of the, the better for your narrative, I, I think start slow, but all of a sudden it's really starting to collide into, into the actual science of what like sugar will even do to athletes. So like, do I think it's unique that this has got a lot of caffeine? So does a lot of pre-workout drinks. Um, you know, caffeine has, you know, athletic, you know, proven studies that show that it, it helps athletic, uh, athletic outcomes. I'm, I'm way more interested in that this is yet another Gatorade pro, uh, product that has no sugar. Yeah, I think that that's, um, I think that's super interesting. I, I think it'll be great to see, uh, as I always say, how this plays out. Uh, but I do well, want to- th That is the handcuff. Like, right. you, you can't go out there and be 100% no sugar if 70% of your 70% of the market is loaded with it. You can't, like, you, as an organization, you can't go out there and be like, hey, sugar's the enemy. Yeah. Um, you can keep putting that products that don't have it. And so that, that that's why I just don't uh, like worry about a lot of these, you know, better for you brands that, you know, you know, occasionally look up at the, you know, the Gatorades and the, even the body armor, which has a ton of sugar of the world and be like, Hey, they'll win eventually because, because they're all allowed to say, Hey, you can't drink. Have you ever seen 50 or 40 grams of sugar poured out onto a scale? It's terrifying. Um, and so like they'll, they'll just, they'll win eventually because, because, Pepsi and, and Gatorade have way too much sugar in their normal products. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's definitely uh, scary to see some of the sugar in these drinks. All right, with well, five minutes left, uh, a topic that's been gaining a lot of speed um, this week. Um, Kim Kardashian uh, launched a private equity firm called Sky Partners. Uh, it was launched in conjunction with ex-Carlisle consumer head uh, Jay Sammons. Um, they're basically really focused on growth capital, investing in businesses across consumer products, hospitality, luxury, digital commerce, and media. I know we only have a little bit of time. My two cents here is like, if you are a consumer brand and you are raising an A or B round here over the next few years, it's hard for you to convince me that there's going to be a more valuable person to have on your cap table than Sky Partners. Having a built-in audience and having a built-in content creator and a person who can move the needle this much as this individual, uh, think what you want about her. Like the 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 content creation alone, the ability to move the needle by just talking about one of their investments, I think is is killer and dynamite. And I just think this is such a smart move. Um, Ali, would love your thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's genius, honestly. He's like, he is a, what, 30-year veteran of the industry, made some of the best deals, I think, in consumer history. Incredibly good guy, super level-headed guy. Uh, you know, it, it, if you wanted to just, you know, there's a law in, um, in ecology, it's called the edge effect. And basically you take two ecosystems that are totally different from each other and where the two ecosystems meet doesn't just have the stuff, like all of the species from each ecosystem, but it literally multiplies it by like a gazillion. It's just, it's genius. The two of them combined, I would say her fine. I, you know, I don't know. People love to hate her. She's, she's changed our culture forever. I'm not sure I'm thrilled about that as a mother of three, you know, young women, but as a, as a business person and, you know, the things that she's gotten involved in and her ability to make money is, is fascinating. Um, and he's a, a, a wonderful, smart guy who has really deep experience. So you put those two things together. I think it's amazing. And I'm hoping that it's good for the industry. I'm not sure that I think the only downside is like going back to your conversation about celebrities before, it's kind of the like the CAC hack, right? Like the brands that are getting the best attention are going to be the ones with people who already have these, you know, fan bases behind them. And I'm just, I'm a little concerned about what it's going to do for the little guys, you know, um, if you don't get into this, this echelon a little bit of um, their attention and, and their funding, it's going to make it even harder for the bootstrapped companies perhaps to gain that attention because now they're kind of losers on a bunch of different levels, not just capital, but attention and all of that. So I'm I'm a little worried about the inequity that it brings to the table, but you know, as yeah. a as a as a union, I think it's genius. I think it makes it almost impossible sometimes for new and emerging brands because it is much, and people might not want to hear this, but I feel like it's much harder to build the tens or hundreds of millions of audience that a Kim Kardashian or a Mr. Beast have versus the product side of things. And you look at like Mr. Beast, like in this hamburger restaurant, having the biggest hamburger like restaurant opening of all time, that's mm -hmm. mostly off the back of his following, right? There's mm -hmm. no one going in there saying this hamburger is better than Shake Shack, right? It's, yeah. probably, it's just not. And so if you have the audience, it's much easier than go build out the products. And so, uh, but I think that this was a really smart move um, on her part. CJ, we'll let you kind of have the last word here. Um, you know, put your investor hat on kind of what's your thoughts here. Yeah, dude, I, I, I love it. I, you know, there's no need to repeat what you guys all just said. Like we're moving into a world where content creation is going to be one of the pillars of brand. And she's going to probably do great doing this. Like, like, like I, I'm, I'm jealous. I, I wish, I wish I was, I wish I had a, a partner that, that had the ability to, to do that stuff to add to James and I. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Well, we're up against it. Ali, uh, honestly, awesome episode. Uh, these, again, like I said at last episode, but these are, you know, these are the reasons why we do the show is to really have great conversations with founders uh, and get your voice and opinion on more than just your business, but kind of what's going on here uh, in the world of CPG and retail. So thank you so much. Uh, can you just let people know where they can find you and uh, how they can support your brand? 
Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I could talk about this stuff all day. Um, you can go to our store locator at havenskitchen.com. We should be in a store near you at the very least, uh, Whole Foods near you. And um, if you have to buy us directly, then you can do that too. Um, but we prefer you to buy them in store. Awesome. You, I just had a curiosity. Do you make your pricing such that people are actively dis dissuaded? Because I'm on your site right now in the process of buying sauces. Should I just go to go to Whole Foods instead? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I should tattoo the word velocity across my forehead. You know. Um, yes, the shipping for refrigerated products is nuts. So yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, have, we have some HPP products in our portfolio, and it's uh, it's tough. Yeah. Um, I love it. I'm very pleased with the whole fresh thing, um, but you know, shipping no. So yes, go to Whole Foods. I'll send you a. I'll send you a coupon. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. We'll be back next week with another great episode. And Allie, thank you so much for uh, joining. We'll see everybody next week.